Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I worked with Milton Berle once, and so my mom came down. She really wanted to meet him, and he had a little oh, crush great. on her, and he asked her out to dinner, Chinese food. Did she go? I think she did, yeah. Wow. My sister hosted a show with Milton Berle late in his life, and they were backstage together. And you know what Milton was famous for doing backstage when there were women there? Exposing himself, right? Because he had a really big... Absolutely. Yeah. And guess yeah. what he did backstage with my sister? Nothing, and she was so insulted. <laughs> oh yeah, that can like, be good. That can be going to drop trow and show me the legendary monster, and then he didn't. And yeah. and she was like, "What's wrong with me? Am I not pretty enough?" Yeah. Well, that was the beginning of the "How about me?" movement. Um, <laughs> not as well known no, as the, as the hashtag the, "How about me?" didn't go very yeah. far. <laughs> no, um, I can't believe you both have Milton Berle stories, and yet I Milton. Could you come here a minute? I have Milton Berle. That's the difference between you guys and me. Are we starting? Yeah, we're oh, starting. Is this more of the CO stuff? Oh, my God, with the CO. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles. I interrupted you. Then we can just edit you out, except that now you're interrupting me to let me know that you interrupted me. Okay. I thought I was giving you a break in case I got in your way. No, you're giving me a heart attack. Here we go. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, how do dogs smell? Really, really well, it turns out. They have flat-out amazingly sensitive noses, which is kind of shocking given the crap I've seen them eat. But we've got Cat Warren, author of What the Dog Knows, right here to help us sniff out the truth. And speaking of that... Have our listeners made any progress sniffing out our still-missing survivalist guest, Thomas Coyne? We'll give you an update. I'm Adam Felber. This show's conversational bloodhound, catching the scent of reason and ignoring all distractions as I doggedly lead our podcast towards its intended target. And now, please welcome the woman who can metaphorically be dispatched to locate anything, goes dashing into the rhetorical thicket, but always seems to come back with a tennis ball. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, you guys who I haven't spoken to even a little bit before this 
<laughs> point in the show. Hi, Paula. And thank you to tonight's house band Rajnar Vajra on the electric guitar. Thank you, Rajnar. Thank you, Rajnar. Thank you, Rajnar. Thank you, Rajnar. Rajnar. Hey, Paula Poundstone, what is new with you? Well, I'll tell you, my dog Sirius was breathing weird a couple nights ago, so I had to take him to the vet, and he was diagnosed with congenital heart disease. Oh, yeah, they had to insert a tube into my bank account and drain it. <laughs> that's that's what they do for that. My regular vet did an x-ray, and then he sent me to the dog cardiologist where, of course, they had to do another x-ray. But this other vet is so expensive. I, I knew I was in trouble when I could see in the employee parking lot two oligarch yachts. Uh, we're parked oh. there. When they bring the, the oligarch-sized yachts into the parking lot of the veterinary clinic. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know those places where instead of taking beverages away from you, they give you beverages? That's one of the ways of knowing that a place is very expensive. There's yes. a coffee bar in the waiting area. They have Ooh. consultation rooms. The Ooh. place doesn't even smell bad. What? How can a vet's office not <laughs> smell bad? That's a big red flag. There were like framed <laughs> animal portraits hung with those little lights on them, like little you oh. know gallery lights. They would bring people's, you know, people sitting in the waiting area as they would bring their pets out to them. Um, they have a full orchestra to play the oh. soundtrack of the incredible journey uh, as the dogs, and they slow the dogs down so they go in slow the motion. Slow motion, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a tearjerker just sitting there in the, um, it is... Uh. So fucking expensive, this place. I'll tell you, Lady Gaga's dog nappers were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> you just stand outside this place. By the way, my consultation was held in room C. Um, I was kept waiting for quite a while, fashionably late they were. Uh, so I checked for Thomas <laughs> Coyne while I was there. Um, our guest, who never showed up, for our fourth episode of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, who we've been looking for ever since. Please make note that he's not at the expensive vet on Sepulveda. Or Sepulveda, <laughs> if you're from out of town. Uh, yeah. So the, then the doctor's assistant came in to the consultation room, and uh, she had like a big stack of papers for me to sign. A among them was a form stating whether I wanted them to perform CPR if the dog should die on the table. Oh. Uh, yeah, what was yeah. You, What did you choose? Well, I said to them, I go, well, I said to the lady, I go, well, how much is that? And she said, three... <laughs> $300, she goes, we do it in 15-minute increments. So $300 per 15 minutes. So if Sirius were to kind of go on to the great beyond, yeah, you would pay $300 for CPR, and then they'd wait 15 minutes, and you'd have to decide whether to, to, to blow another 300 on it? I think it's a little bit like, I don't know, being at a craps table. It all moves fast. You just have yeah. to be standing there with a stack of chips and, you know, throw them out. You know what? Here's another 300. Do it again. Here's another 300. How, how about I buy a round of CPR for all my dead dog friends? Um, then I came to the part where I was signing the estimate. Um, and this number was surely a padded worst case scenario kind of a number. 
Um, it just couldn't possibly be that it was that expensive. And the woman sat down beside me right at the point of which, you know, because she was sort of explaining what each sheet that I was signing said. And then she goes, right when I'm signing the estimate, she says, he's a really handsome dog. Now, <laughs> Sirius is beautiful wow. to me, right? <laughs> but it, But truth be told, well, he's 10, his eyes are cloudy now. One of them kind of sometimes has like eye goop on it. His muzzle is gray, you know, yeah. his salt and pepper. You know, to me, he's gorgeous, but there's no way somebody else looks at this dog and goes, that's a beautiful dog. And I think to myself, like, how much training did they do? Like, this is not the first time that that phrase no, has been no uttered in, in consulting room C. They must figure out, like, psychologically what is exactly the moment to say it so that that ballpoint pen glides across that ridiculous estimate. Did it? And they, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because he's a beautiful dog. Oh, he's such he's, a handsome boy. He's a handsome little puppy. So they gave me all these meds. By the way... The estimate, they were, they were like, well, there's like a $200 sort of window. Well, guess what window opened? Uh, <laughs> and then when I went to pick them up and they give me the meds, in addition to the additional 200 that was not in the estimate, the meds were another $200. And some of them weren't even there yet. Like we had to order some one of them uh, is a thing called Tarine. I have no idea what it's for, but I know that you have to go all around the world um, to find it. I can't believe anybody's ever given this to their dog because I don't see where it would be sold. It's a precious metal of some sort. That <laughs> Jesus Christ. You have to mine. A, a, a lot of people die during the mining process. All right, so I give him the meds, and he sleeps on the floor with me, you know, with me and Mo. And that I, I wake up in the middle of the night, and my bed is covered in pee. And oh. uh, then, uh, you know, so I spend the next day doing laundry, cleaning up the, you know what, and then I have to give him a, a shower, and then happens again the next night. Uh -oh. So now I'm thinking, well, his kidneys are shutting down, and... I can't get any vets on the phone. And I think, well, I got to call the, you know, the, the vet that comes, you know, to your house to put him to sleep. And then oh. I did finally reach a vet and they think it's the medicine, not his oh. kidneys sh shutting down. So that's like a side effect. Yeah. But you do have to hire um, uh, somebody from the vet's office to do the laundry now because it has to be. <laughs> because you never should have signed that one. Yeah. The I mean, bedding read, has read to be cleaned things. every day. And then you have to sign a thing. If that person gets injured, um, do you want to resuscitate them? Uh, if they're dying, I would say no uh, yeah. on that. That's no. not worth three hundred dollars. He seems to be much better. I have I have no idea. All I know is that he is thrilled about the medication because I put it in peanut butter. So he's just yeah. delighted. <laughs> when he hears the cabinet door that has the meds in it, when he hears that open, he's like, "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> that could be the thing that shoves him over the edge because he's not supposed to have like exertion. You, you know, he's supposed to be kept calm. So I have to sneak the peanut butter to him when he's calm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we, we, of course, here at Nobody Listen to Paula Pounce are sending out our best thoughts to, to you, Sirius, and, and to you, 
Paula's bank account. <laughs> yeah, well, the bank account's gone. The bank account's not there anymore. Now I, I work for the vet cleaning animal waste early in the morning. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's honest work. It's good. Hey, you know what I want to do? This is exciting. I want to call our book club to oh, order. This is our first day talking about our new book. This is yes. uh, we wait, wait, just wait, hold, hold started. On, hold on, Paula. I do. I do want to have you talk about it, but I'm going to say this one more time. I, I want to call our book club <laughs> <laughs> okay, to order. Wait, I have to. I I wrote something special, a different melody, and I have to kind of cue up just to get my yeah, you know, my chords right. So hold on. Bookie, 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 Bookie. Damn! Oh, here we go. Do suck your blood. Oh, wait, don't listen to that part. <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay, you know what? This is like this is like Robert Mitchum in that film where he's off the black and white movie where he's after the two little orphans. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, kind of. And, he, and he's on like a little uh, raft of some sort or a canoe or something, and he keeps playing music while he's yeah. That's what this is. Okay. Well, I've come up with different melodies before. They just came in my head spur the moment that I always forget them when it's time to do the show. So that's why I recorded this. Okay, here we go. That haunting We've refrain. We've got a book club, a bookie, bookie, book club. We've got a book club, a bookie, bookie, book club. A bookie, bookie, book club. We've got a book club, a bookie, bookie, book club. Tonight, I want to suck your blood. <laughs> All right, that's, that's all the time we have in our book club. Yeah. I'm assuming uh, that's the long version of the song. Boy. Holy cow. Holy moly, Bonnie. Yeah. Well, it's a suitably gothic dirge for the book I that we're reading. I still don't think, though, that, that, Bonnie, you get the concept that you don't. <laughs> okay, remember the Brady Bunch? It's a story of a man named Brady, right? And they did, it was the same, you know, bringing up three boys of his own. Da, da, da. They, okay. But when the episode was about Jan, they didn't go, it's a story of Jan Brady, who was brought up with, see what I'm saying? The, the theme song stayed the same, and the episode focused on Jan. So we don't need a theme song about the book Twilight, because, they're, because we're reading the book Twilight. The theme song is for the book club. Right, but I'm tagging it to be topic to the book we're reading now. Huh. <laughs> so, Paula, if, if I can interpret what Bonnie's saying, you make a very interesting point, and she's going to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, I think that, in <laughs> fact, she almost didn't even respond. There was an awkward pause there. That yeah. was, it was she sort was of debating like, whether, whether it was worthy to even respond to you. Yeah. I forget. One time I was talking to some old guy, and I remember I, I said something to him, you know, that was perfectly polite, but he didn't like it. I forget what it was. And he didn't answer me. He just stared at me for a really long time. That was kind of what that moment was like. Um, <laughs> well, here I have something uh, to say. I, thank goodness. We've got a book club, a bookie, bookie, book club. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, that's a completely different book club theme song. Bonnie, I want to get past the fucking theme song and to the book club. It was a Brady Bunch. You didn't recognize that? That'd be really pathetic. I did. Yeah, we did. I did. I heard it. Yeah, I yeah. heard it. I'll take that part out. No, motion to censure Bonnie Burns. Here we are. We haven't even started the new book club book. All in favor of censuring Bonnie Burns for excessive use of theme songs. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. All right, Bonnie, you've got... You, you got our first censure. All right. So we read... And Bonnie, don't go through life thinking you can just edit out every, everything that's not good that you say. You need to do some of the editing before you say it. Do you see what I'm saying? Some of that editing has to be internal. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. It reminds me of Mommy Dearest. The, the way Christina tells the story is that the mother says no wire hangers. And then Christina's used to wire hanger and the mother flips out and, you know, beats her and throws stuff everywhere. And, you know, that's not good. Of course, under any no. circumstances, that is you not OK. Flip out and beat kids. I no, think is our no, message to the, no, to, to absolutely not. However, yeah. <laughs> I do think there was some unfairness in the telling of the story, because my guess is she had said no wire hangers nicely any number of times before. <laughs> Christina made it seem like just it was all like it was a one time thing. And again, under no circumstances would that be okay. But nonetheless, I I don't think it was as oddly explosive as the listeners will think that our annoyance with Bonnie can sometimes be. Oh, I, I see where you're going. Still, I have to say that usually when one condemns child abuse, one should not then continue with the word however. Having said that, (laughs) in some circumstances, not all children are the same. Let me just say. (laughs) All right. So we read the preface, which was like a page, and the first two chapters of uh, Stephanie Meyer's um, epic uh, first book of her epic Twilight series. It was a giant hit when it was written. As you know, it spawned a, an entire movie franchise. And we went ahead and read it. So let me just give you a quick summary of what we read so that every all our readers can catch up. We read uh, chapters one and two, and I said, here it is. After a spooky preface where she talks about being murdered, we meet Bella, a glum teenager who's moved to Forks, Washington to live with her divorced dad. She makes a few friends and also meets the Cullens, a beautiful family of siblings who are, like, definitely vampires, one of whom, brooding Edward, seems both attracted and repulsed by sulky Bella. Yeah, yeah, you know, by the way, it didn't just spawn a movie franchise, it spawned a whole new section in the bookstore. You know, vampire lit became a thing. You, you know, yeah, not I mean, not just Twilight, not just Stephanie Meyer books. Just everybody started writing about vampires. It was a thing. It was as vampires were becoming super hot, and this was on the vanguard of them. I mean, it, it's not the first vampire franchise to tear up the bookstores. It's definitely the first young adult sexy vampire franchise that I could think of. But there was never a vampire lit section before. And it didn't used to be okay to bite one another. And yet now. <laughs> now we all bite yeah. Stephanie Meyer is responsible for that. So, Paula, what's your reaction to those first couple of chapters? I want to say right off the bat, I haven't read the second chapter, but I read the first chapter. What? Um, <laughs> I know. 
I kept falling asleep. Motion when I to censure Paula Poundstone I, for I, not I, reading you, the chapter. I'm usually sorry, Paula. I, usually I listen, um, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the audio uh a version and so i get the paperback All version. in favor of censoring paula poundstone sure go ahead I, I'm, I'm in favor um, okay yeah even though i feel badly yeah no that was just vendetta on bonnie's part she had a rough week but it had to be um <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things i noticed when she's talking about getting out of the car to go into the school for the first time because she moves to forks uh washington from phoenix She's talking about she's going to a new school. She's all nervous. She's arrived in her truck and she's nervous. And she says to herself, as she's trying to talk herself into getting out and being calm, she says, no one was going to bite me. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. about your foreshadowing, huh? Yeah. No, that was that one, that one really stuck out to me, too. Yeah. She shadowed her four in a way that I've not ever seen before. And the other thing that I noticed, because, you know, my kids had this book series, but when the kids left home, I gave it away because I thought it was trash. Um, (laughs) But but so I got this one from the library. One thing I noticed is the L on the word twilight is remarkably phallic for no good reason. The L in the word twilight on the cover of the book that you have is phallic. Yeah, it is. I want to look. Yeah, that's that's essentially a literary dildo right there. Why don't you put like a picture of a dick right beside it yeah. so that people can know for sure. You have yeah. to have that comparison. So uh, I don't know. So, so, so is that your major observation about it? You know what I remember. I mean, I never read it before, but I did. I think I told you, you know, nine o'clock on Christmas night. I took my kids to one of the movies, which is just such a loving parenting thing to do. Um, so I suffered through i don't know if it was all of the movies but some of them and then we had them on dvd it was it was yeah. painful and one of the things that i really hated was the glum bella the moody teenager thing was just too much for me i am so much in agreement with you because i think it's a startlingly accurate portrayal of what a sullen gloomy teenager is like and why they suck mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> To, well, to have to follow her gloomy ass around for the next book. <laughs> like, uh, like, she's so joyless. She finds enthusiasm in nothing. And I guess she's going to find enthusiasm in this vampire guy. In fact, I remembered as I was reading chapter two. Oh, rub it in. I had read this book before. Whenever it came out, I was I was teaching and directing kids a lot. And some of the kids were like, oh, you have to read this. You have to read this. And of course Jeannie you read, read this book. You taught improv to this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, in, I, in fact... Had this book recommended to me by somebody in my impression. <laughs> yeah, of course you read this book. Are you kidding me? Oh, my Stephanie God. Stephanie Meyer used to call you late at night for tips. <laughs> I remember you said to her, well, why don't you do some foreshadowing in the first chapter? All right, well, let's move on. Because we have in Sherman Oaks, our beloved Tony Anita Hall. How you doing? I'm doing well. I read my chapters, and I am all in completely here for it. It is the book I need right now. Like, in this crazy world. Wow. It's just like an easy read. There's like 10 words a page. Um, I'm completely invested. (laughs) I've not seen the movies. I've not read the books. Oh, really? And you like Bella. Yeah. I am excited to see where her relationship with Edward goes. 
Um, I did think there was some editing that probably could be done. Like, I felt like there was a lot of, like, walking to class. We got a lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> Other than that, like, it's just the exact thing I need to be reading. I agree with you about the editing. Like, I think if you take page two and then reach across to page 265 and then just grip really hard and tear... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be good editing. <laughs> well, Tony, let's see if it, it stays like that. But if you enjoyed it when it's just some sullen girl yeah. who, who can't be bothered to have a snowball fight because there's no joy <laughs> in her life, then you're going to enjoy it as we go further. I've been grouchy the last couple days, too. I've been a little bit moody. So maybe that's also why that I've been enjoying. Another goth in our midst <laughs> up in the Simi Valley. It's Bonnie Burns, Paula's manager and our producer. Bonnie how did you respond to those chapters? I got to say, I liked it. In fact, I ended up doing an additional chapter. Wow. Whoa. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I heard that it was horrible, and I just took it at that. But this is what I think. I think that this author came up with a really creative way to tell a guy-girl story for young adults. But anyway, here's what I want to say. This girl, this is why I think she's a good character uh, that young adult readers could relate to. She's independent. Yep. She drives a yep. truck, which is a very cool thing for a girl to do. She speaks her mind, like with this Edward. She doesn't have any problem, like, saying that, you know, she's not a coquette. She's smart. And she doesn't really have parents that are on her case. So there's a certain independence there, too. And... I think the idea that you fall in love with a vampire is a creative way to tell a story of guy girl. No, I'm loving I'm loving this. I respect your opinion. And I got to tell you, I was entertained when I was reading the pa individual pages. There was nothing wrong with it. I was really well aware that I was being fed Purina girl chow. Like there was like, you know, that this, this was going to be appealing to people who are not me more than me. And so I'm, I'm almost gratified that I'm seeing this reaction. On, and I see it on both of your faces right there. Uh, no, I don't think I've ever seen them so satisfied in the world of literature. Oh, my gosh. I thought we would never be able to reach Tony again after Eat, Pray, Fuck caved in on her. I thought for sure we just lost Tony. And now Twilight brings her back to us. This is so exciting. It is. Oh it is. Maybe, that, maybe we'll all fall into that and we'll just have a slumber party and, and read the last chapter together. I don't think so. I wanted to say one more thing, which is I looked at the book cover while you were saying that Twilight, the L was like a penis. It's yes. the L for light. Yes. It's a candlestick. You know what? Um, we might have different editions of the book. Does, does yours have testicles? Because mine does. Oh, shit. I'm, I'm not reading the right book. <laughs> Wendell got it for me from the library. Uh, 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 mine is Twy Dick. Uh, oh, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> oh. Maybe it's supposed to be a candle, but that doesn't mean that it's not phallic. And by the way, I don't think it is a candle. Okay. I'll tell you what, in Texas right now at the schools, they're taking this off the shelf right now. <laughs> just, just because of what you said about the L. And with yeah. that, I'm going to bring this week's book club to a close. I can't oh, wait to boy. next week. How many chapters are we reading next week? Five? I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't know. Julie Berkobian, how many chapters are there? 24 chapters. We could even go to chapter six is another about 50 pages. All right, let's right? go. Our, we're reading chapter. No, maybe three chapter five. Go to chapter five. Wait, we went to chapter five. 
No, we, we read chapters one and two, Bonnie. Oh, oh my gosh. You read one, two, and three. Yeah, you right. cheated. <laughs> and we're reading three, four, and five for next week, as are all our listeners. And now the book club has been brought to a close. Paula <laughs> Poundstone, do you have a word for us this week? I do, Adam. You don't have to share it if you don't feel comfortable. I was taking a Bonnie pause. I have a word, Adam. It's pulchritude. <laughs> it's a noun that means beauty. I, here, I'll use it in a sentence. I spent hours as a kid listening to a Bobby Sherman album and staring at his pulchritude in the photo on the album cover. It's, it's not a commonly used word, but I'd like to change that by popularizing it in the vocabulary song. This week's word is pokertude. It's a noun that means beauty. I didn't get the fad of the lifting of the booty. <laughs> Last week's word was obviate. It's a verb that means remove or prevent a need or difficulty. You know who can plow your driveway is my friend Bob McNulty. The week before that, the word was truculent. It's an adjective that means quick to argue or fight. Why do you always have to be right? Going back before that, the word was Jim Crack. It's an adjective that means showy but flimsy or poorly made. It broke in the box before I had paid. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. anything to say to Tony Anita Hull? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Tony Anita Hull, craft enthusiast, voted Miss Bric-a-Brac USA four years in a row. If you can tell me which of the following might be said of something or someone to whom I gave my imprimatur, a former vocabulary word, we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Verbatim books at 3793 30th Street in San Diego, California. However, and I would rather watch another tedious Marvel movie a hundred times than even think about it, but if you are not able to tell me which of the following might be said of something or someone to whom I gave my imprimatur, a form of vocabulary word, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to verbatim books at 3793 30th Street in San Diego, California. Tony Anita Hall, are you ready? Yes. No Googling, Tony. I forgot to tell you that. No Googling. Which of the following might be said of something or someone to whom I gave my imprimatur? A. He was chased by a chicken, and the chicken almost outran him. B. A man on the street with mental health problems screamed, You're a piece of shit right near me. And I said, No, I'm Steve. C. <laughs> Bonnie Burns is the best manager in the world. Or D, what kind of problems does a math book with critical race theory have? One black person plus one white person equals two people? If a white boy with a rifle is driven across state lines to a protest where he shoots two people, how many selfies should he get with the judge? Um, I can picture the word. I don't know the definition. 
But picturing the word is very good. I thought you'd know this hands down. I really did. I really don't remember at all. We we don't kibitz before the choice. Tony, make your choice. <laughs> I didn't know there was a kibitzing rule. I'm going to go with the last one, the critical race theory one. Um, let's see here. Imprimatur is a noun that means a person's acceptance or guarantee uh, that something is of a good standard. So, of course, the answer is B. Bonnie Burns is uh, the best manager in the world. Hey. I'm sorry, Tony Anita Hall. You have not won literally dollars worth of advertising for verbatim books at 3793 30th Street in San Diego, California, which is a tough break for verbatim books at 3793 30th Street in San Diego, California, to whom we would have loved to give literally dollars worth of advertising. But we cannot give literally dollars worth of advertising to verbatim books at 3793 30th Street in San Diego. Oh, sorry, y'all. Couldn't remember. Oh, boy. Tony. Tony, that was a hard one. That was a really hard one. Oh, Tony, it's a big disappointment. You let the team down. No, you didn't let the team down, Tony. <laughs> oh um, no, she no. definitely <laughs> let the team down. No, there's no team, Adam. You can't let the team down when there's no team. Um, well, the Dodgers. You let the Dodgers down, you Tony. You Dodgers. did do that. Yeah. The Dodgers were hoping that verbatim books would get Paula's imprimatur, but no. Imprimatur. Did I say imprimatur? Yeah. You might be right. Imprimatur. I think that's right. Yeah, it's imprimatur. Um, Tony, you had been on a roll, too. I, I know. That's, yeah, yeah. Knocked you right off your horse. Just couldn't remember today. Sure. <laughs> You'll remember it now. Probably not. <laughs> Coming up, Martin Luther said, Be comforted, little dog. Thou, too, in resurrection, shall have a little golden tail. To which his dog said... Okay, <laughs> or a steak? We'll get into what dogs really want when we come back. Imprimatur, imprimatur, imprimatur. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort 
and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, you know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, 
and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On this day in unremarkable history, Harry Houdini said, I'm stuck. <laughs> Thank you, house band Rajnar Vajra, and we are back. How you doing, Paula? Adam. Remember our Bugapalooza episode when Professor Eleanor Spicer Rice told me that the big slow logie flies I find around my house are sarcophaga flies that are eating dead bodies somewhere nearby. Remember that? Vividly. Well, those flies are starting to show up, and I would sure oh, no. like to know where the dead bodies are. <laughs> you know, I have I have two big dogs. You'd think that one of my dogs would go find dead bodies, wouldn't you? Isn't yeah. that a thing that might interest a dog? I mean, it sure has more value and a little more dignity, I think, than running after a frisbee or a tennis ball. It would be helpful, but I can barely train my dogs to sit. We've been working on stay for three solid years now, and my dog Mo still does stay like the old neighborhood red light, green light game. <laughs> Where I say stay, and then I turn around for a second and turn back, and she sees how far she can get while my back was turned. I got, I got no fucking idea how to train a dog to find a dead body, and I don't think I'm ever going to find anybody who knows about that. It's just not the kind of luck I have, you know? No matter how much yeah. I may need a dog to find a dead body, I, there's yeah. there's no way no. that I'll ever talk to anybody who knows anything about 
that, yeah. you know, aspect I'd say, of Yeah, I'd say we're kind of screwed on that one because, yeah. oh, wait yeah. a minute, wait a minute. It just occurred to me that our guest today is not only a best-selling author, but she is also the exact kind of cadaver dog training expert that you are looking for. No! Isn't that crazy? It's crazy on a stick! This is so great. This is such a great opportunity. Welcome to the show, Kat Warren. Yay! Thank you. It is such a coincidence. It's just amazing. Right at the moment you need that, Paula, here I am. This is fantastic. Well, Kat, thank you so much for being here. Um, What was the name of your book? What the Dog Knows? Yes. Yes. What was the subtitle? Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World. So I got to say, I know everybody says, oh, you know, dogs, they do so much with their noses. They have this great sense of smell. When I take the trash out through the alley, my two dogs are on the other side of the fence, and they know me pretty well. They bark at me like I was any stranger going through the alley. Why? What, what can you tell me about a dog's sense of smell? They don't seem to recognize me. So, Paula, do you want me to start with the general dog's nose or talk a little bit about you and Mo and Sirius and what could be happening there? Why don't we begin with the general dog's nose? So they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty <laughs> amazing, right? They're not miraculous. I was uh, I got a Google alert last night where, uh, you know, my phone goes bing and I put a Google alert for dog's nose, of course. And there's another article saying that a dog's nose is between 10,000 and 100,000 times better than a human's. and That's a big range. Yeah, it is. That's a factor of 10. And you know what? They're just, they're making this shit up, right? And <laughs> <laughs> so what we know is that probably a grizzly bear's nose is better. We know that vultures, turkey vultures, have an amazing sense of smell. One of the great experiments that was done in the 30s that an ornithologist reported on was that they put something called ethylmercaptan, a chemical that smelled like decomposition, in um, oil pipelines, and then watched where the vultures came to detect leaks in the pipes. Oh, wow. Wow. Dogs, because they're not pigs, which have a better sense of smell probably, but are less generally portable than dogs, yeah. The problem is, is that they kind of drag people around. And it really is that most pigs do grow to be hundreds of pounds. And they did these experiments in the 70s at a place called Sweary Institute in Texas. And they actually trained pigs for mine detections. And the pigs were amazing. But there was always the possibility they were so enthusiastic <laughs> that they were. Oh, they dig for them like truffles. Yeah. And you know what happens with a mine when you dig for it? <laughs> Oh, but I can imagine. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Charlotte's Web could have taken a dark turn. (laughs) But Kat, you've just told us all the animals that have better noses than dogs. She's just dissing on dogs right now. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So here's what I think. I think that this co-evolution stuff, right, where dogs Mm. kind of came up alongside us They are so adaptable and portable, and they're not nocturnal or diurnal. They'll, like, be awake whenever you want them to be awake. 
and they have noses that are mostly a lot better than ours. And it is that thing where it always comes back to their wanting to please us. Paula, perhaps not your dogs all the time. My dog serious aims to please. See, Mo, on the other hand, who's more sort of like a teenager. Yeah. So She could care if I'm happy with her or not. There you go. So that kind of all-around ability of dogs to be with us mm-hmm. and to bond with handlers so that when handlers are working with them, the, the, the handler and the dog are like uh, sort of inseparable, right? They're, they're two mm-hmm. members of a team where each one is playing a specific role. Um, and it can be a really beautiful thing. Because dogs are so attuned to us, We have what we call the clever Hans effect, which is where we subconsciously give clues to the dog. Oh. Because they're so cute and we want them to do well. And we want them to find the drugs in the trunk of the car. And we're pretty sure the drugs are in the trunk of the car. And so maybe we kind of hang around the trunk a little bit longer than we should as Uh we're trying to do a search (laughs) around the car. And then the dog goes, hey, you want me to sit here because you keep staring <laughs> at that trunk. I'm going to do that. So dogs are just absolutely genius. You know, you kind of look over at the cookie that's fallen under the couch and the dog goes, oh, I know exactly where that cookie is. Oh, I never really thought about it that way. So maybe when I'm going through the alley with the trash and I keep saying to my dogs, it's not me. It's somebody else. That's why they're barking. Yes. Yeah, that could be it. Um, so what extraordinary things can a dog do with its nose? We have now got good evidence on things like COVID that dogs are doing a really excellent job when people are swabbed and being able to detect um, uh, positive COVID cases. Yeah, but you got to shove that dog way up your nose for that to work. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, but there are yeah. breeds with slender noses that dachshunds, where it, dachshunds largely are very good at this. Yeah. 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 So the dogs can identify that you have COVID from your swab? Yep. So d- the disease stuff has come a really long way. You'll be interested, Paula, that there are sperm detection dogs that are being wow. used in the Netherlands um, for sexual assault cases. Why did you assume that Paula would be interested in that? I just think it's fascinating. And I think that it really, it sort of speaks to, if if you can isolate a particular thing you want a dog to find and train them properly, they can do it. Wow. How do you teach them to go for a particular smell? You isolate that smell. You know, things like drugs are pretty easy. But if you think about, like, live human scent, mm-hmm. you have, you know, a, a missing kid and... Mm-hmm. You give the dog the scent of something the kid has worn recently. And then the good trailing or tracking dog should be able to follow that distinct trail. And I've watched them so often being at law enforcement training where, say, somebody breaks into a store and then leaves. And then the alarm goes off within four minutes or an hour and a half. The cops show up. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. what neighborhood you live <laughs> or in. Or no yeah. neighborhood you live in, indeed. And then... And then you know, they're going to go around the outside of that building and the dog will be able to find the kind of hottest track, right? Which is the person who's run away. But it can get complicated. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wait a minute, back up. How do you tell the dog this person we're looking for? 
So, I mean, very often you have a pretty good idea how somebody exited a building, you know, a broken window, an open door, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You'll be able to send the dog around. So in that case, the dog's not using something the the person wore. The dog is just picking up a pretty fresh track. Got you. Okay. How fresh does it have to be? Let's say I knock over a liquor store. Okay. I come in through the window. I get away with it, climb back out through the broken window, and I run away. How long before the dog arrives on the scene is he still going to be able to track me? Two days old is a really old track. But I've seen a 24-hour track. A well-trained dog can really do a good job with that. Really? Just me running down the street, I'm leaving a track that any dog can follow. The Axe Body Spray. Is it that? Is it the Axe Body Spray? Dogs can find any preteen boy. Right guard. It's like a (laughs) no-brainer. But that things like adrenaline really play a role. So when we're talking about bomb detection dogs, say, in Iraq, right, where they're doing IEDs, the Mm -hmm. dogs are probably picking up the scent of sweat and probably fear. Yeah. So I got to stay as calm as I stay possibly calm. can when I'm knocking stay over there. Stay calm. Okay. Yeah, while, while you run through the broken uh, window. Now, dogs are very territorial, but what are the limits of their territory? Like my dogs, if somebody goes through the alley on the other side of the fence, the backyard is fenced in, they have such a fuss about it. And I always say to them, I go, you know, it's not your alley. <laughs> that that alley belongs to everyone. And what do they say? Yeah. Well, yeah. they have a point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So where are the edges of the dog's territory? Well, it depends on the dog. I had a dog where the edges of his territory were his crate. So if he was in his crate in the car, he would guard that. My shepherd used to sleep upstairs with us in his crate upstairs, and it was great. He would get his Kong, come up, settle. And, and like six months ago, he decided that it was really important that he go downstairs and sleep downstairs. I do think, Paula, that he matured, and I actually think that he he is guarding the house to some degree, which I'm fine with because, uh, you know, he doesn't kick up a fuss and we don't have an alley. Yeah. You know, I like the idea that the dogs are guarding the house. Oh, and we never did get back to my dog's specific okay. noses because, again, I suspect that they are not all that amazing, my two dogs. Their noses are not particularly amazing because, you know, people can come over, like my daughter can stop by, and they have a big fuss. And then they're like, oh, it's her. Okay, all right. Right. You know, but she was right at the door. You can see her outline through the window. So I don't get why they're um, not smarter than that. My perception is that my dog barks at us when we come to the door, even though it knows it's us, because she's trying to show us how how she's on guard. To me, that bark sounds different than her, there's an invader bark. The Czech researchers did a, a lot of work on this, on people being able to identify all the differences in dog barks. And people could identify an alarm bark, an aggression bark, a play bark. There are all sorts of differences in how the dogs sound. And what's even more interesting, it wasn't about the person knowing their particular dog. Even people who weren't dog owners could identify them. And Paula, you know, maybe your dogs are trying to tell you, especially Mo, that she'd like to take out the garbage. Right? And that's an excited... (laughs) 
please let me do it next time. I'd really love to do this for you. She doesn't strike me as a real working kind of a dog. Uh, she's so afraid of everything. My dog is afraid of any kind of yard decorations. So from voting season uh, through Halloween, pumpkins, uh, maybe uh, paper turkey in their yard, all the way through Christmas, she's just in hell. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Every time we turn a corner, she's like, oh, Jesus, look at that thing. <laughs> is it possible that this started with Trump yard signs, Paula? Yeah, I hate to be one of those people who blames one person for absolutely everything, but I think you've nailed yeah. it here. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys, uh, Stephen Wright once said, I poured spot remover on my dog. Now he's gone. We're about to be gone for a minute, too, but we'll have more about canine abilities when we come back. Yikes. Yikes? Honestly. Well, the spot remover joke. Oh. It's a great joke, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I like it. But, I mean, it's just, you don't have to think about it for a second. Not really. The Cat of the Week is Betty from Orlando, Florida. Hey, guess what? I'm back out performing in theaters, which is good because cats don't laugh. And the city workers digging up the pipes in the alley for the last month were not enjoying my work. You, sir, with the shovel and the reflective vest, uh, what do you do for a living? Ma'am. You want to get the fuck out of here? Well, how does that title look on a business card? Ma'am, do you want to get the fuck out of here? So, it'll be good to be back with you in a theater. I have missed you so much. If you'll come vaxxed or tested and masked, we'll be able to revel in a night of healing laughter again and again and again. And I won't get hit with a shovel. For tickets, go to paulapoundstone.com and click tour. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Al Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? Amin, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. I'll try to ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. This month is... Wow! Whoa. 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 Oh, Maze, why'd you say that? Supercharge it. 
so that this promo can remain evergreen. McCavity! I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it, give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo, wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> The spread of misinformation has fueled our cultural divide and increased our collective anxiety about the future. Tackling misinformation isn't a simple task, but it's important. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that's dismantling New Age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy-mad yogis. On the show, a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic walk into a bar, and the bartender says, no, 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 it's not that old joke. They dive deep into current events such as RFK Jr.'s involvement in mainstreaming dangerous anti-vax rhetoric. They crowdsource, research, analyze, and dream up answers to the problem with, get this, proven science as their ultimate guiding light. I highly recommend you check out Conspirituality's fascinating episodes on creating comedy in the MAGAverse with Jordan Klepper or RFK Jr. flirting with body fascism. And you've listened to a bunch of them at this point, Paul, I know, and you tell me you love it. I, I do. They're, they're fascinating. And my favorite part is they use, wait for it, proven science. Science? And, and if, if there's any kids listening, that's a class we used to take. Proven yep. science as their ultimate guiding light. I love that. From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed about misinformation and help you resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Cat Warren. So let's get right back to these questions. You know, you were saying earlier, Cat, that human beings can identify the different tones of voice, so to speak, in a dog's bark, the different meanings of a dog's bark. And I'm, I'm realizing that my response to my dog's bark is always pretty much the same, which is, shut the fuck up. And, uh, and I'm wondering, <laughs> if my dogs, regardless of how they meant whatever they were barking at, uh, my dogs, I think, maybe um, have meetings where they try to <laughs> interpret what my meaning is. Yeah. And so far, they haven't nailed it. Yeah. They seem to think, she loves it when we bark. It's so reinforcing. I mean, barking is such a natural thing for dogs to do. And so it's that kind of thing where you go, what am I going to do about it? And you can sometimes say, shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. That almost never works. And so you just keep no. saying it and saying it. And the dogs are like, great, we we can just keep barking. I don't generally yell, shut the fuck up. I have to, I, I usually just say it. In a, in a neutral, <laughs> completely neutral tone. Yeah, just, you know, it helps me. I don't think it affects the dogs at all. Uh, the other thing I try to do is to uh, call my dog Mo when she's doing that to try to get her to come up on the porch where perhaps she'll stop. Generally, it does not work. You know what works? Hmm. It's really hard to eat and bark. So you take a big handful of kibble and you throw it out there. Oh. And you would think, you would wow. think, you would think, oh God, I should not be rewarding the dog for this bad behavior. But the fact is, right. is that they learn to actually anticipate. If you're going to do that pretty consistently, they'll they'll try a bark and then they'll turn around and go, where's the kibble? Wow. <laughs> 
Oh, I am going to try that. I have a feeling I'm going to end up with a really noisy, giant, fat dog. Yeah. <laughs> because, because it looks like they evolved partly with us barking, right? That this is one of the behaviors that we advertently or inadvertently selected for. And it's like, it's not their fault. Yeah. I mean, it still is super irritating. I agree. Really irritating. Yeah. Well, I mostly worry about, you know, I worry about the neighbors. I don't like to be a, a bad neighbor that way. You know, I can make some exceptions. Um, my dogs seem bored a lot. I was thinking about it today. I was thinking that part of my goal with my dog, Mo, pretty much from my get up in the morning, is to tire her out. And I think, is that love? <laughs> that doesn't sound all that loving. But I walk them. I throw the tennis ball for Mo. I train them for about 20 minutes or so every night that I'm home. Uh, you know, just the basics. Sit, stay, walk, come down. Down. I said down. Uh, sometimes we tug. I pet them. I brush them. And yet they still seem bored. Is there something else I should be doing um, to stimulate the brain, the mind, keep the mind of the dog active? Yes. <laughs> but I don't think they have to become human remains detection dogs. I do think, I mean, have you binged bad Netflix shows with them? I Well, no, no bad ones. Uh, <laughs> of they course not. They probably know the theme song to Perry Mason, and they probably could recognize Brian Cranston. Oh, those are good things. So, yes. Yeah. So, so, and I was also, I watched one of your nice YouTube exercise videos, and I noticed oh, that the dogs were lying on either side of you completely bored. And what I was thinking, if you could incorporate them into your exercise, like if I lie down to do yoga, Rev, my shepherd who's 90 pounds, will come and do chest compressions on me. What do you mean chest compressions? Like he thinks you're dead? He's reviving you? Yeah. Yep. That's wow. Good. Right? Paula, how big a dog do you think you could bench? Well, you know, I do. In fact, in one of those exercise videos, I do the dog push, which is when I'm trying to find a spot to use on the rug, the dog <laughs> automatically lays. You, often you do the dog push if you sleep with your dog because you have to, they always sleep in my spot and I have to push them out of the way. Um, that's including them in my exercises. Now, more specifically to the work that you do with dogs, tell us what you do with dogs what I've been doing since 2004 when I got this um, wonderful impossible shepherd where I didn't know what to do with him is that I kind of fell into this odd sort of subcategory of search and rescue, except that it's not rescue. It's just mm -hmm. search where dogs are really good at detecting deceased humans. And mostly they're good at that because dogs evolved to go find food, right? That's part of what their good noses are, right? So it's it so it makes some sense that that this particular scent is something that dogs are inherently attracted to, as opposed to people think, oh yuck, right? But it's actually super easy to have that scent of human remains, which is unique and really complicated, but training a dog to detect that 
is a pretty useful skill for dogs. And of course, now we use them at sites of disaster, um, for cold cases. Uh, and the one of the newer things that's coming along is using them in archaeology for humans who have been gone for hundreds and even thousands of years. Really? Wow. Like, okay, okay. Well, let's imagine I knock over a liquor store. <laughs> And I get shot, and I fall down a gully and buried. You're telling me that if my descendants want to find where my body was, even a thousand years later, you could send a dog down there to find me, and 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 he or she could. By the time you're sort of on the on the surface and you kind of get washed downstream, Adam, I'm not trying to imagine this fate for you because it's pretty pretty sad. But what we are discovering is that. For instance, very old burial grounds, cemeteries in woods where we just have no idea where they are, that dogs that are trained to do this are excellent at helping sort of locate the boundaries of these cemeteries. And I think it's one of those pieces of work that just feels like it's right. So one of the things I've been working with with some colleagues is with African-American burial grounds because... We have so many of them throughout the Southeast, but, you know, there are versions of it in New York, too. And using dogs in conjunction with ground-penetrating radar and sort of historical record and oral records and being able to kind of use non-invasive tools. We're doing a case in Virginia in the next month in an area that's pretty urban, when we think of burial grounds, we think, yeah, they're pristine, they're, you know, out in rural areas. No, they're right in the middle of cities. Yeah, I don't think that anymore because of poltergeist, remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, isn't oh. that weird? Because there's so many dead people. I mean, there's many more dead people than there are live people after all the time that we've inhabited the earth. Yes. And so wouldn't dogs just be, like my dog Mo stops and pulls me all the time when we're walking. It may be that she's going, dead person, another dead person, right? <laughs> Not necessarily just under the surface, but wouldn't you think that there's dead people everywhere? Yes, there are. And I think you should be a lot more patient with her on walks. Yeah, my mistake. she's actually trying to solve really old mysteries and you're yeah, sort of denying be. her her agency and just pulling her yeah, off. that's very possible. And yet I just feel like, come on, I'm trying to tire you out. Keep walking. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think you're and right. And there are a lot of dead people. Jill Lepore did a fantastic article in The New Yorker a few months ago on burial grounds, on African-American burial grounds, a really long piece. It's brilliant. And she she said, and it gets back to this, Paula, about there are so many dead, right? I mean, there's yeah. dead people all around us and beneath us. But her phrase is, underneath this country lies an apartheid of the departed. So wow. these people, were they buried or discarded? Sometimes discarded, right? Sometimes buried. You know, on plantations, this, the enslaved worked really, really hard to find spots when possible that were as far away from the white family as they could get so that they could have some privacy. But we worked a case in Maryland in June where what we discovered was that the burial ground wasn't known for this plantation. It was an abandoned tobacco plantation. 
And after looking through all the records and everything, we took the dogs down to where the small white family cemetery was because we found signs. We found field stones and some depressions. The dogs alerted all over the place. We marked it and then uh, brought in ground penetrating radar and found signs of at least 30 grave shafts right next to the White Family Cemetery. So it's now up to the next step of trying to figure out if we can find out who these people might be because they're not gonna be disinterred because the ethics of that at this point are pretty clear. You know, what is disinterred? Means we're not going to dig them up. They belong there. How did you break that to the dogs? Yeah, the dogs were deeply, <laughs> deeply disappointed. Yeah. While you were driving your dog to the site, and you go, look, we're going to look for the bodies, but we're not going to dig them up. And the dog probably just kept asking you question after question. How come we're not going to dig them up? I understand. And the part I enjoy is digging them up. <laughs> That's what we call an aggressive alert. <laughs> right? <laughs> this, this is the pig that goes after the buried mind. It's deeply discouraged. I don't know why law enforcement doesn't love a dog going out and finding somebody and enthusiastically destroying all the evidence, but... Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, the next Indiana Jones movie is going to have a dog or a pig. Yep. <laughs> Well, Kat, that was just fantastic. And now we are going to take all the information that you have just imparted and run it through the old pounce Paula? House band Rajna Vajra, thank you so much for bringing it with your electric guitar here on this 199th episode. You sound delightful. Now, if I could ask for a little more... I'd love some background music so I can tell you what the old Pounce-tonator spit out. Cadaver dog trainer Cat Warren, you are terrific, and I have come away with a new sense of purpose on behalf of me and my dog, Mo. Hi, it's me, Paula Poundstone, my dog, Mo, here to dig for cadavers. Right over here? Okay. All right. Come on, Mo. Come on. Do your stuff. Go ahead. Mo, come on. Come on. Catch a scent. This is important work. You know what else is important work? I'd like to ride in the car with the air conditioning blowing on my chest. That's important. Woof. Woof. Do you hear that bark? That's my, it's fucking hot out here and I'm sick of this shit bark. You're confusing it with my I want to dig for dead bodies bark, which is much more like this. Come on, Mo. You got something there. You got you got something? If I do find a body, I get to chew on it for a while before I give it to you. That's our deal, right? I'm not giving up a whole set of bones for a little peanut butter training treat. Here's something. Here, here, here's a missing cadaver. Wow, good dog! I'm kidding. But now that you're over here, will you throw the tennis ball? Oh, come on. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Keep going? Bears have better noses. You know, don't you have a turkey vulture or a portable pig that can do this? What, what do you say we go dig at Wimbledon? I have a feeling somebody dumped a bunch of bodies over at Wimbledon. 
funny. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the most enthusiastic responses I think I've ever received. That's funny. That's funny. She is the New York Times best-selling author of What the Dog Knows and an expert cadaver dog trainer and a delightful guest, Kat Warren, everybody. Yay! Kat, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this was fantastic. Uh, my dogs and I are going for a walk tonight to look for dead people. You know what? I, I like the idea that my dog can tell me if I'm dead. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate this. It's been really fun and informative. Thank you. Coming up, as long as we're talking about hounds, our listeners are hot on the trail of our missing survivalist, a Thomas Coyne update, when we come back. Fun fact, you're more likely to get a computer virus from visiting religious websites than porn sites. At least, that was Father Sullivan's excuse. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey! <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you, Rajnar Vajra. She's sounding great there on that electric guitar. Thanks, Rajnar. So, Paula, we have a segment that we haven't done in a while, but it's still the sensation that people identify with our show. And so if we can backtrack and tell the story that we told earlier in the show. Show number four. We wanted to find out how to deal with a bear encounter. So Tony Anita Hull found a survivalist named Thomas Coyne set him up uh, to come to our studio, and he ghosted us. We, he never showed he up. Totally ghosted. Didn't show. We couldn't reach him via email or, or texting or phone calling him. I guess he just decided that this wasn't his thing or something no. terrible happened to him. Well, we were very concerned, of course. So we initiated a worldwide manhunt. Uh, it was a manhunt that I feel was flawed in its very conception. No, what we did, using our resources as best we could, we deputized everyone to look for Thomas Coyne, wherever they were. But did we really use our resources as best we could? Because the oh, method definitely. that you came up with was not to ask people to find Thomas Coyne, but to report back on all the places where he is not. Well, that's how you do it, Adam. You narrow it down. That only means he isn't there right now at the time that person is reporting. All right, well, then let me make an update. Feel free to check back. Um, okay, so we had an interactive map, and uh, we put pins in the map for where Thomas Coyne had not been. And that brings us up to date. We've literally had thousands of people uh, looking for Thomas Coyne. Almost everywhere I go, people come up to me and say, you know, I checked the bathroom, he's not here. Or, you know, he's not on aisle nine. So we went to our Facebook group and to Twitter and said, hey, listeners, where haven't you seen Thomas Coyne? And the responses just came pouring in, Paula. Yeah. Do you know why we got hundreds of responses? Because there's so many places he's not. Like every place except one. Exactly. We're playing to our strengths, Adam. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so speaking of playing to our strengths, let's bring on Tony Anita Hull. Tony is going to read some of these fantastic responses we got for our Thomas Coyne update theme song, Bonnie. 
Where, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where is Thomas Coyne? Where, oh, where, oh, where is he not? Wow. What I like about that is it's layered. <laughs> yeah. Where is he? Where is he not? Yeah. Fantastic, Bonnie. Thank you. All right, Tony, where is he not? Step on up. So Darcy Hamlin. I play with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, and I can assert definitely that Thomas Coyne is not on stage or backstage at Allen Bradley Hall at the Bradley Symphony Center. Dave Gross let us know he wasn't in my hardware store in Silver Spring, Maryland today. I was absolutely certain he'd be there, but no. Hmm. Allison Hugim Kampmuller wrote, he is not in the adult tap dance class at Hearts in Motion Dance Studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I can't believe that one. I thought for <laughs> certain. He might have just been taking the next class for all we know. Yeah, he stepped outside for a smoke. Uh, you know, if she's a if she's playing viola or something, there's no way she could know if Thomas Corn was or wasn't behind the tubas. Good point. Well, maybe we can get one of the uh, tuba players to check in as well. <laughs> That would be, be helpful. So that's a call to action for a tuba player with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Uh, if you could just check in with us about any Thomas Coyne sightings while you're playing. Uh, what about Roman Beltracci? Anything there? Yeah, we got an update. He's not in the paleontology lab at San Jose State University. Oh, okay. Don Kirby let us know he's not getting massage in our clinic in Albuquerque. We are really narrowing it down. I can feel I can feel the noose yeah. tightening, as it were. Uh, Jeremy Williams let us know he is not currently anywhere in my house or my car in Los Angeles. Or is he? Wait, what was that noise coming from my trunk? <laughs> ooh, 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 good point. So um, thank you for that, Jeremy. Uh, people, when you check your car, don't just look in the back seat. You want to check the trunk. That's so important. And, uh, you know, if you have an electric car, you got to check the frunk. I will say, Don Kirby, if you're going to mention that you have a massage clinic in Albuquerque, you deprived yourself of literally <laughs> dollars worth of free advertising by not naming that clinic. Oh, uh, yeah. Cindy Johnson. Thomas Coyne is definitely not in my hematologist's office. I had plenty of time to look as I waited and waited for my B12 injection. Nor is he at the Jiffy Loop near there in Manassas, Virginia. I searched the waiting room and the bay diligently. I like to hear that, Cindy. Thank you so much. Once you got that energy boost from the B12, um, you probably were even more uh, conscientious. Um, it was a more detailed search. Thank you, Cindy, for your excellent example. Let's see how F Sam Fowser does. Yeah, Sam let us know he is not under my bed in Dexter, Michigan. Okay, cross that one off. Keep going. Yeah, that's going to be a comfort. Jim Pagliaro let us know he is not in Nishi, Shinjuku, Tokyo. Wow. I wonder what Jim Pagliaro is doing in Nishi, Shinjuku, Tokyo. He didn't say. He just said Thomas Coyne wasn't with him. Because he's so focused. All right, yeah. Nicholas Clohesse uh, told us he's not in Boise State University's Albertson's Library. There was a goose outside, though. Uh, I hope, Nicholas, that you double-checked the goose because... Survivalists are masters of disguise. Exactly. He could have yes. been dressed up as a goose. 
mm-hmm. and and slip right through our fingers. What about <laughs> Wesley Allen Samuelson? Yes. Any word from him? Yes, absolutely. He let us know Thomas Coyne is not in the crisper drawer in my refrigerator. I live in Cedar Park, Texas, for reference. Wow. By the way, so bold of you, Wesley, to say that you live in Texas. These are these are not proud days for Texas. Um, I know you're part of the good guys. I know that you are. Uh, and, and good for you for sticking with it. But And by the way, what is the crisper drawer? How does it make something more crisp? Is it really a different temperature than any other part of the refrigerator? I think it's a different humidity. Yes. Why is that? Well, you know, you have that little slider that says fruits and vegetables. The vegetable one is the crisper. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, either. Yeah, it, it keeps it drier, whereas you like your fruit to stay a little bit moist. I had no idea. I've been having limp lettuce my whole life until I <laughs> until I checked in with Wesley Allen Samuelson from Cedar Park, Texas. Thank you, Wesley Allen. And now we have a data point that maybe Thomas Coyne is more into fruit than vegetables. Very possible. Uh, <laughs> I, he, he might be crisp. <laughs> Go ahead, Tony. Give us some more. Lauren Mosblack Harper let us know he wasn't at the Olive Garden in Little Rock, Arkansas this evening. I thought I saw him behind the wine bottles, but I was wrong. Ooh. Oh, oh well, thank you for checking. Um, giving us that Hitchcock moment. Wasn't there a thing where they were going to stop giving breadsticks or something at the Olive Garden? <gasps> That'd be <laughs> awful. <laughs> I heard that they were going to stop giving bottomless breadsticks. Oh. I'll tell you something. If you eat a bottomless breadstick, you're not bottomless. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear about Richard Kitchings. So Richard let us know, not at F. Scott Fitzgerald's tomb in Rockville, Maryland. Also not at the Disc Golf Course at Brahan Springs in Huntsville, Alabama. I checked both places on a busy, long weekend. Wow, Richard. Excellent example. This guy is putting in miles in his Thomas Coin search. Thank you. Still feels like a needle in a haystack, but go on, Tony. Stafford Green uh, wrote, he is not under my dog's day bed in Seattle. Check the <laughs> night bed. <laughs> Mark Carter let us know he's got 14 brand new eyes on the case. This could be the tipping point. But so far, no Thomas Coyne in Hazelhurst, Georgia. Randy Travis played here once in the 90s, though. There's a wedding band. 14 new eyes on the case. I think Mark... Carter might have uh, used some of Paula's simple sample dialogues to get us seven new listeners. Thank you, Mark. Excellent example. Once again, if everyone could just turn their attention to Mark and how Mark is doing the Thomas Coin search. Thank you. Ellie Hogan let us know, I've been in Naples for five days. We have been everywhere. No sightings at all. Kelly, it would be helpful if you would stipulate, is that Naples, Florida <laughs> or, <laughs> or Naples, Italy? Uh, I don't think anybody would brag about how many days they've been in Naples, Florida. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess Italy. But you know what no. she did? And, and I know you and I differ on this, Paula. Yeah. But she gave us an entire area where Thomas Coyne wasn't, as opposed to, say, a crisper drawer. Now, she was able to do that because she kept her focus uh, in a whole area. But, you know, some people... 
if I'm on the road, well, I, you know, I'm in airports, I'm in theaters, I'm in different cities. But most days that I'm working from home, you know, it's pretty much my backyard, the alley beside my house, my living room, my bedroom. I, I can't, yeah, I that. you know, so uh, it could be Florida, Adam, because Florida people make some funny choices. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kelly. I knew it. Elizabeth Moberg wrote, he's not eating leftover pie in my kitchen, his loss in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, that's great. Yeah. See, you don't have to make a whole day of it. She just had that moment to look and she recorded that information. And now we don't have to. Thank you. Well, we uh, would Elizabeth. have to like right now, which is my point again and again and again. <laughs> eating pie there right now. And we wouldn't no, know. I don't think he is. And by the way, I was in Lexington, Kentucky before, and I'm allergic to it. I sneezed from the moment I got off the plane until the moment I got back on the plane. So if he were there, she would hear him sneezing. Well, I was in Lexington, and I didn't sneeze at all. You you taught improv to Lexington. <laughs> yeah, at, at, at Improv Lexington, their theater. So Deirdre Lawler let us know, not in... To Woomba, Queensland, Australia. To Woomba, to Woomba. Wow, what a name. Huh, well, to steal a phrase from Elizabeth, his loss. It's fun to say to Woomba. Yeah, if he was in to Woomba, you'd know it because you wouldn't be able to stop saying it. To Woomba, to Woomba. Crazy Schenken let us know, and I looked up the pronunciation of these places in Sweden, so I hope I have them right, Tracy. Um, he was not in line for his first COVID vaccination shot in June 2021 in Vesteros, Sweden, nor was he in line for a second dose in September 2021, and he didn't show up in Shopping, Sweden for his third dose in January 2022. Therefore, I can only assume he has succumbed to the Rona or somewhere in the villages, Florida, wearing a MAGA hat. Wow. All right. Well, you know, Tracy, you may be jumping to some conclusions there or, or you could be like um, Patrick Jane and the mentalist who, for the most part, his guesses were always right. He just was very intuitive about human behavior. So but uh, this would be remarkably intuitive to get three covid shots somewhere in Sweden and presume that because Thomas Coyne was not there at the exact same time getting covid shots that he might have succumbed to the Rona. Yeah, but this is Tracy Schenken. She's the Thomas Coin Search shaman. Um, <laughs> I, by the way, was at the villages not that long ago, so I checked. Well, then we're in the clear. Definitely. Uh, anybody on Twitter, Tony? Yeah, we have a couple from Twitter. So at JMY9595, let us know. I just rode my bike around Purgatory Creek Park in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And unless he was one of or behind one of two bunnies, he wasn't there. That's huh. well-reasoned. It's really well-reasoned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Saw two bunnies. Wasn't going to be fooled like like uh, the woman with the goose. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it wasn't behind the bunnies. Maybe it was the bunnies. What about Dr. Hooligan? Dr. Hooligan, uh, let us know. I'm trapped in my house due to COVID, but he's not here. Nor was he in any of the care packages dropped off for me. Get better soon, Dr. Hooligan. Yes, please. Um, it's a good point that Tracy brings up, which is it's very possible that Thomas Coyne has succumbed. Well, he's a survivalist. You think he could survive a virus as well as a bear? 
far as I know, bears are a form of virus, right? No, I believe they're mammals. Okay, not viruses. Yeah. If, if Thomas Coyne had showed up, I'd have known that. Yeah. Were you ever attacked but, by Bear 19? He was... Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. He was part bear, part virus. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I, yeah. I had a sore throat and my head was ripped off. Yeah, you know what? That was a variant. <laughs> <laughs> that was a variant. A variant. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, I really feel... You know, for a while I had been... At loose ends, I think, just not sure uh, where Thomas Coyne was, and we sort of lost track of looking for him. And now I, d I feel like we're back on track, and I really appreciate it. We're hot on the trail again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, exactly. We're eliminating places again. <laughs> hey, and it, by the way, as long as we're hot on the trail, I want to offer this up to everybody. We had a nobody who went ahead and made a whole bunch of wooden Thomas Coyne memorial coins for this very podcast. I think it says he's not here on one side. And they're really awesome. And we still have a lot of them. So I think it was a husband and wife, was it? Yeah, not Tony? it was. Yeah, it was. Fantastic. Here's what we're going to offer right now. If your name was said on the show tonight as one of these that we just read, and you would like a Thomas Coin coin sent to you, just hit us up and let us know at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com if your name was said on this show and you'd like a Thomas Coin coin. To commemorate the occasion. The Ostermans made the Thomas Coin coin. That's who Ostermans. it was. Thank you, Ostermans. Hey, Paula, what's going on in the Poundstone product empire this week? Adam, according to my new publicist, Cynthia Cryer of Cynthia Cryer Public Relations, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is about to be a household name. She says we are just at the tipping point. Cynthia is so wonderful. She says she'll do for me what she did for her client, Mary Beth Fitzgerald, and that there was a time when no one had ever even heard of Mary Beth Fitzgerald. Cynthia just got me an interview with Allergy Sufferers Magazine in the annual Must We Be Pollen's Bitches issue. So listeners are going to want to get Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone hooded sweatshirts and Poundstone pussy pillows, the handmade catnip stuffed pillows with the grommet for pulling and the cat joke on one side and autograph to your cat on the other side at the shop at paulapoundstone.com while they can. That's paulapoundstone.com and click on shop. Speaking of listeners, thanks to those who came out to my live shows in Eugene, Oregon and Wenatchee, Washington. I'll be in Sag Harbor, New York on Saturday, May 28th at Bay Street Theater. And on Saturday, June 11th, I'll be in Waukegan, Illinois at the Genesee. Go to paulapoundstone.com for tickets. There's so much more at paulapoundstone.com that I could tell you about. But we have a listener named Heidi who has let us know in no uncertain terms that she does not like it when we plug our products. Heidi, Heidi, Heidi. <laughs> Heidi, Heidi, oh. And uh, to piggyback on that, as I revealed last week, I am honored to say that Heidi has already asked me to stop plugging my new podcast, Dad Band Land, an exploration <laughs> of all the music you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. To quote Heidi, enough about that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I might be paraphrasing. <laughs> 
All right, everybody. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. If there's a subject or topic you need to know more about, tell us. We're at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And now. Wait, you I know suspe- what? They say, and I haven't spoken directly to them, but they say that if people review the podcast, I think it's at Apple Podcasts, where you review it with a five star review that it gets the word out to more people about your podcast. It's what they say. So drop by and and you can even leave a review. You could write a review and give us the five stars. And we sure would appreciate the heck out of all of that. Yeah. Because we got to keep growing if this Thomas Coyne search is ever going to work. Yeah. Oh, it's the only way we're going to find him. We got to increase our posse. And Heidi, don't don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) And now, Paula, it's that time. Okay. Are you going to hear the voice of John Kennedy, beloved president of the United States, or John Kennedy, significantly less beloved U.S. senator? Evil U.S. senator. Evil country bear jamboree lookalike. Mm-hmm. John and Kennedy. Which John Kennedy you're about to hear depends upon your ability to remember this week's vocabulary word, which you chose and sang about. And Paula Poundstone, that word right now, I might not pronounce it correctly, but here it comes. It's pultritude. Pultritude means beauty. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That's nice. Yeah, that's really nice. What kind of radical lefty idea is that, by the way? John Kennedy. <laughs> John Kennedy, the libtard. Hey, that's our show, everybody. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Kat Warren. Yay! Yay! And how about that house band, Rajnar Vajra? Yeah! Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Burakobian. It's edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Oh, boy. You know what? Uh, what? My dog is sniffing at the floor right now. You know what that might mean? Human remains. Yeah, dead bodies right underneath this house. This is poltergeist all over again. Because we were about to put in a pool right here in the bedroom. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Not if you didn't move the bodies. Yeah. Well, the landlord didn't tell me. Oh. Oh. Yeah, just digging away at the floorboards. Well, the only thing worse than ghosts is swimming ghosts. Oh, man. That was a scary movie, Poltergeist. Did you did you see it? Oh, yeah, a couple times. Yeah, it scared the yeah. shit out of me. Did it really? Yeah, oh, it did. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, yeah. I st- yeah. yeah, but th- the second one, less so. Second one, really yeah. bad, yeah. Didn't scare you? Uh, sequels, you know, with the exception of Toy Story and The Godfather, those are the only two sequel movies that have ever been good. So that's why we're never doing Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone 2. But nobody listens to Paula Poundstone 1 has so many unanswered questions. Yeah. The quality, you know, just craters uh, in these sequels. I, I don't believe in it. Okay. Yeah. 
By the way, can we get rid of the Marvel movies altogether now? Could we please be done with them? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll arrange it for you. You really don't mm. like them anymore? No, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Consider it done. Star Brands Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.